listening to Rumination Thursday on Law and Gospel on this October the 3rd in the year of our Lord 2019. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and with me is Pastor Wes Reimnitz. Hi, Wes. Hi, Tom. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. It's finally looking like a little rain here and a little cooler temperature. I don't know how you're doing up in Springfield, Illinois. Oh, it's raining off and on here. Well, I hope you don't get bored. <laughs> because I have to stay inside or? No, it's a segue into what we are going to be talking about today. <laughs> There was an uh, yeah. individual who wrote an article, What Has Lutherans Joining the Church? And now he's written another article, Why Lutherans Begin to Reject Lutheranism. And I found mm. it kind of interesting what you had sent me. What What's the number one stage in why people tend to leave Lutheranism? Well, they believe in Jesus, but they don't feel that the church is relevant to, to their day-to-day -day life. Yeah, and their main problem is they get bored. Yeah, they're bored. I was preaching yesterday, uh, last night, and we had a worship service I was preaching at, and uh, the liturgy really was revolving around St. Michael's. That was the Sunday mm. last week. And I don't know how you can get bored with that, but the liturgy, some people think they would get bored by it because it's the same every week and this sort of thing. But I found the article really had a good resolve to this boredom that people think is found in the liturgy. And they, mm -hmm. uh, the article says there's two options to alleviate this. One is rediscovery or discovery? What, uh, discover. what do you think they well, mean by that? Well, I think it's uh, contact to the Word. Yes. And never, never thought of it that way, so to speak. Right. A lot of the liturgy is direct quotations from the Bible, like the Agnus Dei, Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Have mercy on us. Now, how can you get bored with saying something like that? And for discovery, I, I've said this before. I had a woman who had just become a member of our church, and we were taking the Lord's Supper, and she was kind of crying at the altar. And I asked her afterwards why. And she said, well, in your sermon, you had mentioned that, Lord, now lettest thou your servant depart in peace, was the nunc dimittis. That's Latin for now let us depart. Yeah. It was a song of Simeon as he's holding the Christ child in his arms in the temple. And here... Mm -hmm we receive the very body and blood of Jesus in our mouth. And she had never realized that before. I'll tell you, that particular song was no longer boring to her. And I think 
brings up just just in the communion issue where you get churches that say the body and blood represent or it's not fully you know god's body and blood so there's there's a problem with uh, uh how you believe the word is it the word of god or is it uh man-made well the article talks about that and they use two guys larry and tom and uh they say the liturgy is just so dry and mechanical. Don't you ever get bored from going through these dead rites? And Tom says, mm. I was thinking the same thing. If only we could be on fire like the Baptist church down the street. And so what they start trying to do is make their Lutheran church more like the Baptist church. But you hit the nail on the head when you said... The Baptists don't believe in the body and blood of Jesus Christ. They're not going to teach that. They they don't believe in infant baptism. They're not going to practice that. And so you may think you're still Lutheran because you're bringing in these evangelical or Baptist kinds of things. But in reality, you're falling away from Lutheranism. Oh, yeah. Well, if you go back to the last few Thursdays that we've talked about, it's, it's been about uh, how they've left the Word of God behind, where you worship plants, or it's okay for women to be preachers or gays to be preachers, you know, just down down the line, or that there's no longer any faith in or believe in the verbal inspiration of the Bible, of the Word. So, you know, you've got a, a degradation of, of churches that's going on there, and they're being fed that Sunday after Sunday. No wonder they're not coming. Yes, uh, I was trying to think of another analogy to help us, and the one I came up with is a couple who are married and are kind of in trouble, and you meet with them, mm. and the husband says, well, I no longer love her. So I don't want to stay married. She may say the same thing about him. Well, what's the goal of the pastor is to rekindle that love, which is more of an attitude than an emotion. And if that love can be rekindled, that marriage is going to stay together. Similarly, in worship, with those people who are bored, same liturgy every week, the way the pastor can rekindle their original love for Lutheran liturgy is to explain what what's going on. Have have you ever done that service? I think Concordia Publishing House puts out a item where it explains each part of the worship service. I've done it once or twice, but uh, I didn't really need to do it as much as revitalize the liturgy a little bit. Uh, and that was instead of the same liturgy Sunday after Sunday, uh, use different liturgies that the hymnal itself has. So there's a large variety of, of uh, liturgies in, in our Lutheran service book. Yeah, and the churches that I've been uh, operating with during the last few years, that's one of the goals I had because some of those uh, liturgies include additional understanding of Christianity that's not in other parts of the liturgy. Not to say that one is superior to the other, but a mix of them 
really kind of helps out people in focusing. One, one of the things, as you well know, we do on Tuesdays is we go over the hymns. And, uh, for example, I asked this question last night. You know, remember, I always have questions during sermons. <laughs> and the question was, uh, we sing a wonderful hymn by Martin Luther, and at the end of the first verse it says, On earth is not his equal. And who is that referring to, I asked. Well, mm. everybody thought it referred to Jesus. Who does oh, really? it refer to? Are you talking to about Satan himself? Yes. Mm. I, I remember I was at a circuit meeting, and it was a short devotion, and the pastor said, and we'll conclude our devotion by singing the first hymn of A Mighty Fortress. And three or four other pastors says, no, we won't. We will sing at least the first two verses. Because <laughs> they didn't want to end on, on earth is not as equal, referring equal. to the devil. Because the next verses talk about one little word can fell him. Well, yeah. He's judged. Yeah. The deed is done. So... What I've discovered, and this is why Mark and I kind of go over the hymns, people sing the hymns, but they often don't read them mm. while they're singing them. Yeah. They're mouthing the yeah. words, they're saying the words, but they're not seeing the intense depth of the Christian faith as found in a number of these wonderful hymns. I have found over the years in various parishes that I served that you, you always have one or two that would come up and say those were powerful words in the sermon, not just the sermon, but, but in the hymns itself, it really said a lot. Yes, but a lot of times they'll compliment us on our sermons, but I haven't had too many compliment on the hymns, and that's why when I introduce a hymn, I'll say, okay, today the sermon hymn is this. It was written by, let's say, Martin Franzman. He was a professor of mine. And I want you to listen carefully to the depth of theology that he has in this hymn as he easily describes the distinctions between law and gospel. So I like introducing hymns to help them to understand. Even a simple hymn... Jesus loves me, this I know. What's the next phrase? For the Bible tells me so. Yes. This is where we learn about Jesus from the Bible, not from reason, uh, not from other things, but from God's Word. And uh, that's how we rediscover the liturgy. I, I, I think a lot of people don't realize the Apostles' Creed Every phrase in it phrase. is a quote from the Bible. Right. Crucified under Pontius Pilate. Yeah. Everything's there. Yeah. Now, yeah. the article goes on, uh, and this was a good point he made. They think that what we do in liturgy is adiaphora. And the word adiaphora comes from our confessions where it simply means that from God's point of view, it's kind of neutral whether you do it or whether you don't do it. Like, for example, 
when you go and uh, order ice cream, are you wrong when you order chocolate instead of butter pecan? No, that's an adiaphora. That's up to your taste. But adiaphora in a liturgy is never neutral because the liturgy always flows from the doctrine. So if you change mm-hmm. the liturgy to make it more exciting or something, a lot of times you're going to end up with a doctrine that is contrary to the Word of God. Well, I think that you hit the nail on on the head there. It's it's in connection with the Word and how you do do the uh, liturgy. If you do it to make it exciting, but but in the end leave the uh, word behind, you've got nothing. That's why so many are against this uh, contemporary worship, because it sounds good, but uh, no liturgy, no or no doctrine, no word that's uh, connected with it. Another analogy that came to my mind is. Uh, When I was a kid, my mother would make meals. And a lot of the meals were uh, meat that I had to cut and vegetables that I didn't like, like peas and stuff. And uh, I would have really liked to have exciting meals, which I used to have when we first got married, namely uh, White Castles, Burger Kings, pizza, etc. But... That may have been a more exciting meal, but there's no doubt that there can be some health problems come about when you eat a lot of things that are more than you need or your body needs, and you can end up with high blood pressure, all kinds of things. So what can be exciting in eating isn't necessarily beneficial, and the meals my mother made were always beneficial and good. But they were right. just boring. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, back to this, you know, one of the reasons I wanted just to discuss a little bit of this attendance of church is uh, a person I ran into who said that their their office were, where they were, two-thirds of them, while well, all of them believe that they're, they're Christian of some value, two-thirds of the office, didn't go to church anymore, and it wasn't millennials. You know, we've discussed this about millennials. These, these were people between the age of forty and sixty, roughly. My, and I found that quite uh, interesting. Followed up by talking with a, a Missouri Synod pastor who very, very law gospel oriented, great sermons. Uh, really serves his parish faithfully, asked him how he was doing with his inactives. And he says, it's been rough work. He says, I get him back for a while, and then they leave again. You know, they they become inactive. So, you know, liturgy may may be okay in the church, but uh, what is happening to these people that that are suddenly I should say suddenly, but over time, are falling off the radar. And how is it that we reach them? Well, you know the stats. You have what's the average around thirty-five percent in church attendance, but then when we come to Bible study, maybe ten percent. 
Mm. And you see, it's in the Bible study. Uh, the way that I tried to overcome it when I was at my parish for a long time is I had Bible studies in the homes of members, like on a Sunday night. And we would bring a few members together, and we had the opportunity, therefore, uh, to talk about these items and explain even further. I, I made a mistake when I first got in the ministry, I think the first four or five years, when I did adult instruction, I hardly ever mentioned the liturgy. And later I realized, wow, they need to understand why do we begin the worship in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? That's not a boring thing. It's a reminder of our baptism. And how can you begin a worship service without the reminder of baptism where God made you an adopted child of his? And so the more they understand, I believe, the importance of the words in the liturgy, uh, the more critical it becomes that they won't be leaving the church. How about the end of the services, too? Um, I once had a, well, in several of the parishes I had uh, police officers, but one in particular says, I, he says, I, I live for that, that benediction, to know that I'm blessed and I carry God's peace with me. Yes, uh, my grandmother was a strong Roman Catholic, and any time that I would visit at her home and she would go to church, she took me with me. And I never could understand how the Roman Catholic uh, worship service ended. Do you recall? Mm. It says... No. Yeah, the mass, uh, the, the priest says, uh, the mass now ends, and everyone says, thanks be to God. Be to God. <laughs> <laughs> when I first heard that, I said, why are they saying that? Are they glad it's over? <laughs> well, I know some of the churches that do that, too. And I'm going, yeah, are they saying thanks be to God it's over or what? <laughs> well, uh, I later learned what the Roman Catholics mean by that. Thanks be to God that we were involved in this particular worship uh, service to hear the word of God, etc. They're not saying thanks that it's over, <laughs> but thanks that they were able to participate in it. And uh, I can understand that. One of the big points made in the article that you sent is that when these Lutherans leave and become members, say, of a Baptist church, he referred to them as faux evangelicals. Faux means F, or spelled F-A-U-X. What was he trying to get across there? That one, that they're full embodied, that they somehow somehow have come to, to, to a, a more realized sense of who they are. Well, the word faux means imitation or fake. Almost faith, yeah. Yeah, not genuine. And so if they're faux evangelicals, though they think that they're worshiping in a more exciting thing, they're not even worshiping properly as an evangelical because they're trying to stick in some Lutheran understanding in it also. So it's a fake evangelicalism. In other words... When a Lutheran church borrows evangelical practices, like having bands up there that take up most of the service, it really doesn't look either Lutheran or Baptist 
but kind of looks like an out-of-date, faux evangelical church. You know, yeah, but, but hearing it speak, evangelical, you know, a lot of Lutheran churches like St. Paul Evangelical Lutheran Church, they have the word evangelical in their name. So don't we have to make a distinction between what you're talking about, evangelical, and a proper understanding of the word evangelical? Yes, uh, the term evangelical is referring to proper uh, Lutheran theology, but today it's mainly used to talk about those people who believe uh, or don't believe in a communion, don't believe in infant baptism, believe that you can invite Christ into your heart by choosing heart. him and this sort of thing. So we need to understand that when people reject Lutheranism and follow evangelical practices, they're really following a different religion, uh, even than Christianity. Yeah, I was reviewing a, a video here a couple of days ago. The guy sounded so Lutheran. I thought, man, he said, I've never heard of this guy, you know, before. Uh-huh. And and he even quoted John three sixteen. I said, man, he he's really on target with with faith. Until he got to the part where he said, it's time now to what? Invite Christ into your heart and ask him for forgiveness. Yeah, I I tell you, Mm. it just falls away from Christianity very, very quickly. And he made a point that is really true, is that these people who have left Lutheranism because of their boredom, because they haven't understood the liturgy, become very defensive when you tell them that they are journeying out of Lutheranism into evangelicalism. They just don't understand that because it seems like it's a more exciting worship service. But remember, every worship service always flows from the doctrine of the church. church. So there are certain things that are not adiaphora from God's point of view. And and therefore, the hymns, for example, so many of the hymns in an evangelical Lutheran church focus on me and what I am doing for Jesus and gives me credit. And I take pride in my life as a Christian and look down on those who aren't Christian. And this is really contrary to Lutheran theology. Does this really, um, for instance, uh, concern itself between historic faith and saving faith, that that they're pursuing a, a historic faith that they believe in Jesus somehow, but historic faith looks to the promises of the gospel? Yeah, there's no doubt that historic faith simply talks about the history of the Bible, but it doesn't apply it to the life of a person. There's no law and gospel. It's just history and, you know, evidence that Jesus rose from the dead really doesn't make any difference is if you don't realize that his resurrection from the dead was the first fruits of you who will be rising from the dead. So always that reminder that that lady in my Bible class, when I said I, I can't get over how the congregation confesses its sins with such gusto and such vibrancy, and she said, "Because we know what's coming next," and That's I said, "That is yes, that I am forgiven in, by Jesus." In fact, that was one of the points that they wanted to get rid of those confession of sins and such. 
And I'm always interested when I attend a church and the pastor has made up a confession of sin, which Hmm. really isn't a proper confession of sin nine times out of ten. But thanks so much for bringing this. We're out of time right now. And maybe you'll find another article for next week. But the goal is to help people rediscover the liturgy in a way that it's no longer recognized as boring. Okay? Okay, good to see you. Thanks so much. And... Tomorrow's Long Gospel is Open Mic Friday. You may want to ask a question about what we said today or anything else on your mind, and we will attempt to answer it. God bless. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.